And it, it really, oh, you want to get me upset, you call me that. Because uh, <laughs> uh, that, that phase happened when I was in college, and I was like, uh, here I am studying uh, literature and astronomy and anthropology and all kinds of and acting and all kinds of interesting classes and all they're talking about is how all valley girls are stupid and all they know how to do is go shopping <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's not not believable it's all it's all uh what, what they call hyperbole right so you you create a character out of something that might be true to a very slight extent that you characterize everybody that way yeah yeah well, the guys didn't come up any better than the girls in that movie. Yeah, I should imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so, they were equally portrayed like dingbats. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Overexposure to uh, cosmic rays. I guess so. Or maybe uh, a, a comet flew over like that other movie. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. some comet dust settled on the valley. Yeah, that part of the valley, wherever uh -huh. they were. Uh Oh, but I always thought, oh, whoever, uh, and now I know who came up with it, but I, I, I just, I really didn't like that she did that. <laughs> um, I was like, of all the things you had to make fun of, you had to do that. Why can't you make fun of other things? There's so many funny things in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, what part of L.A. were you in? Uh, let's see, the eastern side, way way east, uh, let me think, uh, uh, what was the town I stayed in, I forgot now, uh, name me some towns to the east of L.A., can you do that? East of L.A. Not the city, oh, Duarte, that's where I stayed. Oh, where Duarte, I okay, yeah. so up toward the Pasadena area, okay. And yeah, I worked at the uh, the cancer center in the middle of town middle of the city uh, for a couple of years doing research. I actually know Doherty because I had a friend who lived there. Yeah, it's a simple little place. Yeah. Stuck up against the, the hills in the back and that's it. She was so proud to show me where Julia Child's family was, lived in Pasadena one time. I was like, okay. I mean, I like Julia Childs too, but I really didn't care where her family was. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, the only thing I really loved—they have—I love—they have a great museum in Pasadena. Uh, what? I'm trying to. Oh God, I blanked out on the name of it. Uh, very famous. Um. Uh, uh, like really rich guy uh, endowed the museum so his name was on it and whenever you watch the Rose Parade they always go right next, right by it oh okay I can't think of the name of it god I hate when that happened you know age really has an effect on you <sighs> I used to have like such a good memory and now it's <laughs> oh well It'll come. No, I got it. I got it. Norton Simon. 
Oh, okay, that sounds familiar. Yeah, Norton Simon Museum, beautiful art museum, really great collections. Uh-huh. If you like, well, you're an artist, so you probably do like art. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love to go to that one. I love, I like to go to all the museums in Fairbanks District too. They have really n- great museums there. Not just the tar pits; they have like an art museum. <laughs> But yeah, I love uh, I I I actually really love art. I wanted to ask you, um, when did you start doing art, and um, uh, did it lead to training young, or when did you start training as an artist? Yeah, well, that's a tricky one. I never actually formally trained. Um, I was. Uh I guess gifted to the extent that I could do drawings uh, in grammar school and such. As I grew up, I was copying comic book covers, that sort of thing. And there was even one instance where I, uh, I don't know if you even remember John Nagy, that was a uh, an art teacher on television, early television. And he had some art books out. And uh, I volunteered, I was volunteered by my teacher to give an art class to the students on how to draw a certain scene on blackboard you know with chalk and so that was kind of a cool experience and then as things went on uh, in high school I had some interesting incidences uh, but the, by the time I was in senior I think a senior yeah probably senior high school I had my first one man art show at our local library Wow, where that's I had young. oil paintings and other things uh, for sale And so that was a pretty exciting moment yeah, I, I can't say I took formal art lessons where I learned a perspective and all that kind of stuff, uh, but I did attend art classes where we just painted together with other artists. And there was a, a teacher, excuse me, <clears throat> who would uh, kind of you know give you a little hint about what to do about a certain thing that you're trying to do on the, on the canvas. So it wasn't a formal education, but it was it, there was over there was always somebody nearby that could suggest. How to do something a little better and uh, so I had a lot of that and by the time I got to uh, college uh, actually in high school it was an interesting situation uh, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be as a scientist or an artist and uh, they had something called a vocational test I don't know if they still have that today uh, but the vocational test has a whole bunch of questions right all kinds of multiple choice mm-hmm. questions you want to do this what would you do in this situation blah 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 the whole thing and uh, when it was done, you had scores for various kinds of vocations on a big chart, like a bar chart. And uh, you would look for the highest bar because that would be the thing that you most likely to be suited for. So I looked at that chart because I was really eager because I was trying to figure out, do I want to be an artist or do I want to be a, uh, a scientist? And guess what? I had two bars that were exactly identical. And one was artist and one was scientist. <laughs> so that was absolutely useless to me. <laughs> Yeah, I was hoping for an answer, and I got nothing. I guess um, you were equally talented yeah, and both. Crazy. So I, I asked my father uh, because, of course, your father knows everything. So I asked my father, "Well, what, what do you think? I, I got this vocation for both sides. What, what do you think I should do?" And he said, uh, "Well, son, <laughs> oh dear, you could be a scientist and do art." but you can't be an artist and do science. So you decide. 
I think buried in there was making money, you know, in a steady way. So uh, I went to the science side, and I spent a lot of time in, in uh, college and graduate school and even postdoctoral work uh, out in California and also up in Wisconsin doing cancer research. And eventually got jobs in various industries involving the design and synthesis of various compounds used to treat uh, animals, plants, the whole bit, people. Uh, eventually I got a job in, uh, more most recently before I retired, I had a job with Bristol-Myers Squibb where I was actually working with a computer to design molecules. Wow. And it was a nice mix of art and science because in that kind of job, you need to show uh, other scientists, chemists and biologists, what you're up to, why you think this molecule is going to be the best thing to make. And that requires some artwork to show on the screen exactly what you want to make and why it's good because you're trying to show this molecule in 3D fitting into some site on a protein or in a cell and all that kind of stuff. That was probably the best job I ever had. And uh, I retired from that uh, a few years ago. Now, art, going back to artwork, um, all through these years, I was doing art of various sorts. I'd be inside work art shows, you know, uh, uh, contests, various contests and that kind of stuff. So I kept my hand in it, but I wasn't practicing it as a professional at all. I mean, it was of course, I would sell a few pieces here and there, but that, that wouldn't be professional, you know. Um, but so I had fun doing art all this period of time. And so when science finally finished, when I finished my job at Bristol-Myers Squibb, I decided to focus completely on art or the, the world of art. And so I, I took up a lot of time in terms of uh, doing oils and illustrations for book covers, that kind of stuff. At the same time, exactly at the same time, when I retired, because you know you have to have something to do when you retire. I also started writing seriously, and so I was able to publish several books, several novels, uh, a couple of uh, anthologies involving short stories that I wrote. Uh, many of these won awards locally in Florida, um, even awards as high as the best, almost the best book published in uh, in Florida or the best manuscript the best manuscript that particular year in science fiction, that kind of stuff. So that gave me a lot of uh, pursuing the artistic side of myself, which was writing and art. Um, I can tell you about writing a little bit. I know that's not the focus of the, the story today, but I remember my first short story in high school. I put together a little pamphlet with my short story, and I typed it up, I cut it up, I stapled it up so it looked like a little book, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I was at trigonometry class, I still can remember this, and I was passing it to the students, my, my colleagues at the time, other high school students, and they were reading it and enjoying it until Mr. Sarno, the trigonometry teacher, caught wind of something getting passed in class. So he stopped it, he grabbed that pamphlet figure and gets some sort of crazy note, right? Ooh. And he looks at it, and he had no words. He just looked at it and looked at it and just gave it back to the student. <laughs> he took it from it and didn't know what to say about it. Just said, could you please pay attention to what I'm doing up here? <laughs> he was ready to punish somebody, but he couldn't because 
It was, it was a, a short story in the <laughs> form of a little book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that must have freaked them out a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. They never knew what they expect from me. Because, uh, you know, I also had some anecdotes about getting caught with artwork that I was working on, and I, we spoke a little bit earlier about that. And that was a fun little anecdote, too, where uh, my artwork was... The, the dean of discipline in our school was interested in seeing my artwork, but never told me that. So I got whisked away to the dean of discipline one day uh, by a teacher saying, hey, go to the dean of discipline with your artwork. They, he wants to see it. And then I found out later that, yeah, he just wants to see what I'm up to in high school with all my drawings. So that was a, a kick in the pants. <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice if the teacher gave you a heads up. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. No, well, the teacher didn't tell me. He actually didn't tell me that the dean of discipline wanted to see the artwork. He just said, go to the dean of discipline. And that doesn't sound like, you know, it's going to be a good trip. No, it doesn't. <laughs> go, young man, to the yeah, dean of discipline. Yeah, go and show him what you just did. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh... When did you become interested in doing illustration? Was that after you retired? Yeah, pretty much, because uh, until then it was what they call personal art. You know, you do your do a crazy scene, something that's really fun to look at, uh, moves people one way or the other, and it's, it's rather personal. I, I hated to sell anything because each painting I did was, was a personal statement. It was something about, something I enjoyed looking at and doing. And I, I couldn't really part with it. I did part with some, uh, and I, I, even today I still feel sorry I did that. So I'm not a true commercial artist, that's for sure, because the, you're not supposed to get personally attached to artwork. Mm -hmm. um, recently I had a chance to talk to a very famous artist whose name, of course, escapes me at the moment, but this mm -hmm. guy is very famous for his dragon paintings, all kinds of dragons, and uh, he sold tons of them. So I asked him, uh, was there ever any moment or any painting that you didn't want to sell, that you wanted to keep? You just wanted to keep it. You don't want to sell it. And he thought long and hard about that because this guy's a professional artist. You know, he makes money this way. And he said there was one, and it was it was a personal uh, painting that he had inscribed something to someone uh, in Japan, I think it was, and, and he just didn't want to let it go, so he kept that. But it was very unusual. You know, these professional artists, don't grow attached to their work. They would like to sell their work, and that's a completely different kind of mindset. In my case, paintings are very personal, but illustrations, not so much, because I'm working for somebody trying to make a book more exciting or bring a reader into the novel that someone's trying to sell with some clues as to what's in there, what makes it so interesting and exciting. So that's kind of a challenge to put on a cover of a book. And so I enjoy that very much. Uh, and I use I use a little oil in some some of those, but uh, a lot of times I've I've uh, drifted over to digital art to to make those things happen. And those I can part with because they're digital. I still have them, right? The digital art goes onto a cover, so now I'm sharing it with the rest of the world. That makes sense because uh, you always have it because you have the original. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, as I told you earlier, a story about my mom and her needlepoints. She loved her needlepoints, so 
because he didn't really give those away except for one exception. Yeah. Uh, I don't. She was not that type of a person. She did it for fun and love of doing what she's doing and and to give it to us. You know. Sure. Sure. And she sometimes gave it to friends. Uh-huh. Right. But, but, Same here. But not not to sell. Um, except for one time. Uh, um, so when did you first become aware of the illustrator's award and uh, the contest and everything? Yeah, that was kind of cool. Um, so over the years, maybe the last, I don't know, six years or so, I was aware of them through the web, you know, the, the internet. I, I came across a contest that involved writing. Okay, at that time, I don't think they were pushing the illustration side so much. But anyway, there was writing. So I, I applied. Every quarter, they accepted one piece from anybody around the world. And they would look at that and see if it's uh, award-worthy, right? And uh, over the years, I got a few uh, honorable mentions. So that's like, you know, I'll pat in the back, but try again, uh, Sonny. <laughs> see if you can do better. <laughs> <laughs> so those collections were fun. Uh, I tried to put my best short stories in there and my best ones got honorable mention so now I got kind of enthused and then I noticed they're also asking for uh, illustrations uh, send in three illustrations digital and we'll see see what's what so I started to do that as well and about the second year or so that I was doing that remember they were accepting every quarter so you know there was a bunch of illustrations going in there I got some honorable mentions for that too you know good try son um but then uh, I was coming home from uh, a soccer game. I was watching the, the, the women's soccer uh, team beat somebody, I think a Mexican team. was They just trounced them. And I'm driving home, and the phone rings, and so I answer it, and uh, somebody there, I was figuring out oh, for sure somebody's trying to sell me some uh, uh, warranty extension for my car. Uh, you know, that's what happens all the time with somebody coming, <laughs> those, those robocalls. Anyway, so I'm answering it, and they said, you won. And I said, what do you mean you won? And it says, well, here you go. This is what you won. You won because you this quarter you have one of the best pieces that we saw, so you're invited to Hollywood. Um, all expenses paid, you and, and a guest, okay, to the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. You probably know that's a pretty old hotel there mm -hmm. in Hollywood, West Hollywood. And a very fine-looking hotel. It's old, but very fine-looking inside. It's really beautiful. Um, Art Deco, and, right? 1920. What's that? It's Art yeah, Deco, yeah, 1920s, Art Deco, if I remember it's right. A, it's very traditional. It's a very. There's tiles everywhere. There's tiles on the floor and the walls everywhere. It's just gorgeous. Uh, I'll tell you in a second what the experience I had in that hotel. But anyway, you get the hotel. Um, you're there for a week, and in that week, you're you're going to be. Uh, uh, in workshops with the best artists that we have in the country, okay? Um, then at the end of the week, you end up going to a Hollywood Oscar type of gala event where you've got to wear a, a tuxedo, walk and be driven there by a limousine, walk the red carpet, be interviewed by a bunch of press, uh, get into the gala uh, in this uh, the name of the place escapes me now. It's quite famous. Uh, so you get into this, uh, uh, how do I say? It's like a reception hall, but 
you can, you can picture a wedding reception, except you need to multiply by like 10 or 20. It's just beyond belief. Glittery, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Oscar-worthy area. You know, everything is just cameras all over the place. Very, very high-end uh, kind of event, a gala event. And, and you get to accept the award there. You get up on stage. You make the speech. And it's all being filmed. And it goes into the YouTube archives, blah, blah, blah. And it's just gorgeous. The event was beyond description. It's actually, if you want to try to find what it looks like, there are probably a number of uh, examples of it on their website. The, the Illustrators of the Future, that's all you have to type in on Google, Illustrators of the Future, and you'll find the most recent one that's in there. Um, it's, it used to be the first thing that would come up when you look at that, but now I think you have to actually click on it somewhere on their website. Um, and it'll, it'll have the whole event in there from A to Z. Uh, if anybody's interested in Arthur DeWaco, uh, he made his speech and acceptance right around the one hour, 59 minute mark. One hour, 59. <laughs> <laughs> you and actually know exactly the, when. Whoa. <laughs> it's almost exactly right there. <laughs> and it was kind of fun. It was really, really a lot of fun. So let me just jump back to the, the hotel. Mm -hmm. The hotel is a throwback to old Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is represents old Hollywood. Madame Monroe's yeah, hang out there for a while. She had a room over the uh, the pool. The swimming pool's been in a lot of movies. The uh, Clark Gable and all that stuff. All the all those actors and mm -hmm. actresses from that period of time used to hang out there big time. Um, so we check in. This is right at the beginning. So we check in. Uh, we go through the check-in. We go upstairs to our rooms. There's only two elevators, and they look like they came out of the Tower of Terror from Disneyland. Uh, if you know what I mean. They're just old-fashioned. Old-looking elevators. <laughs> so uh, then I said, oh, I forgot to do something at the reception. So I, I got on one of the elevators and came back down to where I thought was the same floor. The elevator opens up. I look around, and the reception's not there. But what I, what I see instead is the scene from... Uh, what was that Jack Nicholson movie? The uh, Chinatown. Uh, oh, mind block, mind block. You know where there's a hotel in the middle of nowhere, and uh, he gets a oh, crazy. The Shining. The Shining, and there's the great scene where he goes downstairs to the ballroom, and they're all waiting for him. They have this music from the twenties, and everybody's decked out, and it the place is gorgeous, and you just know it can't be real. <laughs> so that's what I stepped into. I came out of the elevator, and I'm looking around, and I'm going, oh, my God, where the hell am I? <laughs> what is this place? So it's a huge, beautiful um, uh, divans all around. There's a, a fountain in the middle. There's a, there's a, I can't describe it. It's a parlor, or whatever you want to call it. It's a large parlor where uh, people meet and talk and greet. Uh, there's a fireplace on one end. There's a bar on the other, and there's music playing. And I'm going, I just stepped into The Shining. Where? How did I do this? And I, it turns out, of course, I was on the wrong floor. Uh, because, you know, there I am. A guy from the East doesn't have a clue as to what's going on. Uh, so that was fun. That was the first interesting uh, thing. I had a chance to talk to uh, a security guard there. And security guard, uh, I asked, well, you know, this parlor, this whole area looks so beautiful, but you should have a piano. Where's the piano? You should have a piano here. Somebody playing the piano. And she looked at me and said, you know, we had a piano there, but uh, 
it started to play by itself once in a while. And so it was kind of annoying. So we put it somewhere else. <laughs> Looking at her, are you telling me? You There's a ghost. So, yeah. She goes, everybody accepts the fact it plays by itself once in a while. So, but where'd you put it? So we went to the other side of the hotel where there's a huge reception area. And this is actually where the first Oscars were, were given out. So it's a huge reception area. Just happens that when she opened the doors, it was locked. She opened the doors for me. And we looked inside. It was a little dark. But there were candles on all the tables. And there was nobody there. Just candles that were lit up on all the tables. So I'm going, okay. All right. So what's going on here? <laughs> this is, well, there's supposed to be a, a meeting of a kind of a special organization. Okay. Let's not go into why the, there's candles on all the tables. But there it is. And then she points up to a corner of the room. And the room is big, okay, really big. Way out in the corner of the room, up, there's a balcony. And in, in the corner of the balcony, you can see a piano. And she says, we have to put it up there. I said, well, wow, that's really a shame. And she goes to me. And every once in a while, it still plays by itself. <laughs> go, oh, thanks for that story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've oh, heard yeah. about the ghost at the Roosevelt. That yeah, and I, and Del Coronado, they both have. And Marilyn has a very busy schedule. Marilyn Monroe, uh -huh. she she's busier now than when she was alive. She was she appears as a ghost at the Roosevelt. She appears as a ghost at Del Coronado. She appears right? as a ghost at her the house where she passed away. She p appears as a ghost at the apartment she had with Arthur Miller. And, I mean, she has a very busy schedule. I don't know how she does it. It would be the death of her. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always, I was like, when I first heard that, of all of the ghosts, the one that has the most sightings is Marilyn Monroe. Jimmy Dean is second. Wow. Well, it, it, she's a tragic figure. You know, so she seems to be a very sympathetic and tragic figure. Yeah. So, yeah, she had a few more things to say before she left. So there you go. Yeah. So, one I other know. one other thing about the hotel. When we were introduced, uh, I was introduced to where we're going to have our meetings. You know, with the artists and such. We went down a hallway on, in the basement of the uh, Roosevelt, and uh, on the side of the hallway, there's an alcove that's curtained off. There's a curtain, right? So the woman that was showing us drew the curtain back, and there's a bit of an alcove, like a small room with bookcases everywhere. And so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, where are we going to meet? There's just bookcases and there's little space here. That's all there is. And so she reaches out to one of the books, and a door swings open. So the, the bookcases aren't really bookcases. It's just a fake, fake bookcases hiding a door. I said, oh, my God. So she opens the door, and inside... It's like a, a little theater, like a speakeasy, if you will, where they have shows for, for special people, for VIPs. It probably so, was. So there was. Yeah, there was a little theater, with you know, a little stage, I should say, and there's divan seats, cushion seats all around, and behind the seats there was a, a, a bar and such. And that's where we're going to have our week-long sessions with the artists, which was great. It was really cool. It probably was like, a speakeasy. That was the era. <laughs> Yeah, that's Hollywood. Yeah. That's, I look at it and say, well, I guess this is Hollywood, you know. We're not going to sit in some dull little room somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so it's too bad that you never saw the Magic Castle because that's it's quite like that. <laughs> uh -huh. 
Were you, I mean, when you were in L.A., did you see the Magic Castle? Uh, no. Oh. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, the Magic Castle is kind of cool. But no, we we didn't have any transportation, and we had a very full schedule. Mm. Uh, so it's hard to get anywhere except onto Hollywood. I guess it's Hollywood Boulevard that sound runs in front of it. Not sure. But anyway, yeah, I just got across the street. And there was the Groundlands Chinese Theater there. Mm-hmm. And That's Hollywood. Madame Tussauds. Stuff like that for the... Or the tourists, not me, of course. I'm not a tourist. <laughs> That's that. That is Hollywood Boulevard, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. the way it used to look. I um. I mean, it's okay. Today's Hollywood Boulevard looks more like Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, it's very. What's cool. It, it's. What, what, what's it's, amazing about Los Angeles is that I don't know how many people realize it that don't live in Los Angeles that there's so many oil wells. Mm-hmm. Sit in the hills, mm-hmm. uh, between houses and backyards, and they're just everywhere. So uh, that struck me too. That was kind of odd, because even even though I lived in Los Angeles for a couple of years, I never got to that side of Hollywood to look at these things that actually notice that they're there. Well, that was pretty cool. I always know. I always thought they looked like grasshoppers. We used to when we drove and we saw the oil wells going. Yeah. Because the way the top of it and the the body and the way they go up and down, they kind of look like grasshoppers. That's true. They look like big grasshoppers. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I I have a very good imagination. Uh, But that's the way I – we used to go to Vegas and uh, Palm Springs, and Uh when you went down through the desert, there was a lot of those. Like you see, like a whole, it's like a whole set of those. I don't think yeah, they have yeah. as many as they used to have, but um, because the, I mean I don't know how much oil we still have in California, um, but but yeah, I I just remember seeing those 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 grasshoppers bopping up and down as we drove down the highway. <laughs> yeah, sure, they definitely got grasshoppers. Anyway, that's the way I thought of it. So, when uh, your time to reveal your cover, did your author recognize it right away? Well, yeah, that was kind of nice. So, the way that works is uh, 12 authors and 12 artists are selected to uh, create the anthology, along with some invited guests, of course, to some other artists and and, uh, writers that are in there. But mostly it's the 12 and 12. So each artist is paired with a short story. And I never met the writer, but I, I did get a copy of the short story before it got published. And um, my job was to create something that would illustrate that short story. So it's not necessarily covered. These are short stories, you know, they don't have covers, but there's an illustration for the short story in the book. And, uh, and there's sort of a competition because there was a monetary compensation originally when I won the prize of going there, then they give you some money for doing the illustration, not much, but a little bit, and then there's the chance of winning a big amount of money if you're the best of the 12, okay? So I missed that by just a smidgen, <laughs> but still. So what happened is uh, we, we spent 30 days, each artist had 30 days to create an illustration, and that illustration would then be uh, matched with the story in the anthology. But before that, of course, the the, uh, the uh, 
writer had never seen the illustration. So the writers were there in the hotel with us in a separate venue, somewhere else in some boring room probably. <laughs> and they had a chance one evening to meet the artists and see what the illustrations actually look like for their stories, not knowing which is which, right? So we set it up on easels in that little cafe, uh, in that little, uh, how do I say, uh, I, there's a good word for this, and I can't think of it, but it's like a speakeasy, you know. You mean alcove? Yeah. Probably an alcove? Yeah, something like that. Well, anyway, so we set up the, the, uh, the, the illustrations on easels and just hung out. And, they, and the, then the writers came in trying to identify which one was theirs, you know, which one was for their story. And they migrated very quickly to the correct illustrations. It's amazing. My writer showed up at the easel that I was, you know, uh, next to, and uh, he was looking at it. And it happens to be that this is a illustration of that's a very poignant part of the story. There's a story that the story had to do with a, a woman that was giving up her child on a on an alien planet to a swamp. The child had already died and was becoming one of the creatures of the planet. That's the way it was going. And so she was very sad, but she understood what was going on. In the meantime, there was a, a vicious <laughs> counterpart to her. Somebody was going to take her place that was about to try to kill her. So that's all caught in this one image that I, I put together. But there is a very poignant moment where she's delivering the child to the swamp, and the child is almost underwater. And so I caught that. And so the uh, writer was looking at that, and he actually was brought to tears. Aww. Oh, yeah, because it's a very, very uh, emotional moment in the story. And uh, he said, you just nailed it. And so I can't really ask for more than that. When, when a writer looks at it, he goes, you just nailed it. That is exactly the way I pictured it. So, and this is without talking to the writer, just getting an idea from the story, right? <laughs> so that was very very moving that's excellent that's really cool i always find it interesting because i i actually haven't really heard in, in, in my interviews with people from the contest uh people who don't recognize their own nobody everybody i've talked to have recognized who the illustration or the uh illustrator said oh yeah they recognized it right away it's like i think there must be like because it's about their book and they know their books, I mean their book, their their short story, and they know yep. their short story so well, they just, it just, they just hone into it. Oh, yeah, because uh, the artists, you know, were all very good. I mean, the, the, the artists that were in my group were excellent, really, very sharp. Um, and they know what you're looking for. They, they, they're very good at, they're very perceptive at what is the main thing that's happening in that story. So they, I'm sure they captured every one of every one captured it just right. Anyway, and so an artist, I mean, a writer looking at that, go, oh wait a minute, that's got to be mine right there because I know that scene, you know. <laughs> so it was probably very easy for the writers to, to, you know, identify their their stories on on those images. It's also their baby. Their short stories, their baby, just like your right, your little babies, and the, it, they know what the, what's supposed to look like. Yeah, you know? and, and your picture is your baby. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's part of being creative. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, which uh, could you give the full title of which book you're in? 
Okay, I think it, it's the illustrators, writers and illustrators of the future, volume 38. 38. It's available on Amazon. And what's the name of the story? This, this story was for the Federation. And um, we're coming to the end. Do you have um, anything that's coming up, any stories or illustrations that are coming up that will be available for people to see that you want to give a little plug to? Well, my major plug is, is probably my website. I don't know if you have that out there anywhere. Um, it's it's just ArthurMDeWaco.com. So it's A-R-T-H-U-R, M as in Michael, he is in David, O-W-E-Y-K-O dot com. So that's my full name with a middle initial. Uh, actually, if you just type in the last name, DeWaco, you'll probably find it eventually because there's a bunch of pages that come up in Google. Um, and on there are all the illustrations I've ever done for book covers, as well as a lot of personal artwork as well. Also, short stories and novels that I've published too, but that's that's another story, right? That's not what we're really <laughs> ho uh, harping on, uh, you know, focusing on right now. But, no, if, uh, if yeah. you have so a... I'm, I'm looking for chances for for uh, illustrating uh, okay. a variety of book covers uh, or even comic book covers. Uh, that's my interest right now because that's art that speaks to a reader and uh, I enjoy very much creating. If you have a book or something that's coming out, you can you can plug it. You're allowed. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not coming out. The books that I have out are Algorithm, which is a story of our our origins and destiny. That was out maybe 10 years ago. But oh, it's still okay. out. It's still available on Amazon. Algorithm. And the other one is, uh, yeah, good, As Wings Unfurl. It, it's all about, a, uh, and that was more recent, As Wings Unfurl. It's a story about a Vietnam vet who was... Uh, who lost a leg, uh, has a morphine addiction, thinks himself a coward, and is pretty much lost in a bookstore in Newark, New Jersey. And that sounds like a real winner, doesn't it? That's interesting. Okay. <laughs> but what happens is his whole life changes when someone who steps into the into the bookstore who claims to be his guardian angel. Oh, and, that's cool. And uncovers a conspiracy that may undo mankind. So oh, together, wow. they're on a big adventure. <laughs> well, guardian <laughs> angels are always interesting. Angels are fun. It sounds sort of like it's a wonderful life. Yeah, not exactly, because this is, although she claims to be his guardian angel, she's not actually an angel, So, but she has a lot of qualities of an angel. Yeah. I see. Okay. <laughs> I guess. Um, and uh, what's your social media that you would like if so somebody, if they want to, can say hi? Uh, well, let's see. I'm, I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can find it there. Uh, find me there. Uh, also on Twitter, of course. Uh, those are the two major ones. And also, I guess, on LinkedIn as a professional. That's in there as well. You can find me there. Okay. So Is it just your name or... Yeah, I think so, pretty much. Uh, I always forget exactly how they have recorded. Occasionally I use a, a different pseudonym. It's Awaken. It's spelled A-W-E-Y-K-E-N, Awaken. Bits and pieces of my name. That might be in Twitter and it might be in Facebook. I can't remember right now <laughs> which is which, but it's there somewhere. Okay. 
Well, I want to thank you for you know taking time out of your day to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate having the chance to to you know bloviate, as they say, you know, <laughs> okay. talk about myself a little bit and and share some of my experiences. So I appreciate that very much. Thanks, Sherry. Thank you, and thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs>